morning, food fans everywhere. You're listening to On the Menu with Dan and Peter Haig. And today we're going to start with a journey to Italy um, in our first two interviews, um, beginning with Teresa Lust, which is her real name. And and, and her husband. And and, um, her husband and Blissful Feast. Because because they just love Italy even more than we do, and perhaps even more than you do, listeners. But let's find out why these people decided, among other things, to found a cooking school in Tuscany. I had some real, real strong nostalgia reading this book by Teresa Lust, um, A Blissful Feast, uh, Culinary Adventures in Italy's Piemonte, Maremma, and the Market. And I'll tell you, it's really, it, it, the pandemic hit me today when I realized I haven't been in Italy for well, over a year. <laughs> I said, but you're so lucky you have all these relatives there, Teresa. And you have the perfect background. Explain your background. Well, I, I, uh, I was born with... Uh, grandparents who came over from Italy so that was in my mind a stroke of good fortune Um, and uh, also grew up in a family that uh, celebrated most events around the the dinner table and for whom food just played a very important role as far as keeping generations together and knowing extended family members and I think that those are all qualities that uh, just come from growing up in an Italian immigrant family. Uh, well, that's the other part of Italian. It's not very American, is it? Is it not what? anymore. I, I would say it's not very American. Not so much anymore. Although I have hope. I, I do think that that people are are. There's been a return to to seeing the importance of getting people together for a good oh, meal. Well, people are learning how to cook. They're yeah. interested in it. Yeah, it makes me very optimistic. Right, we just uh, interviewed Marian Nessel, and she said one of the good things that's come out of the pandemic is that people are cooking again. I agree. That is definitely yeah. a silver lining. Uh, people yeah. just, we have our little nucleus of whether it's our family or maybe expanding slightly to a group of friends, but just to be able to, to make a meal and share in it, it's just, those bonds are just all the more strong right now. So, but you've had this feeling that um, and you weren't in Italy. You were even growing up with this feeling built around the, the family at, at mealtime, right? Yes. So you had that going for you. But then you went to Italy, and, and how was that different? I think it just sort of underscored, but in a much more profound sense, uh, it it what I had been feeling all along and made me really interested in knowing Italian cuisine, the cuisine of my relatives in the Piedmont and and other regions, just wanting to know it to a much, much greater degree. And I, I was working in restaurants cooking at the time. And I, my original hope was to just immerse myself, learn more about the, the, 
cuisine of Italy and the different regions in order to to cook, um, bring those recipes back to the restaurants where I was working. And then I, I was also kind of undergoing a transition at the time. I was married already, but I didn't have kids and I didn't even think I wanted to have children. Um, but I, I just was... I think that was changing. I was deciding, my husband and I were deciding we wanted to have kids. I was feeling far away from my own family since I live in New Hampshire now and, and just those opportunities to get back to, to be with them, just underscoring the importance of family for me and realizing that food was what was holding it together and that I was finding great pleasure in cooking for my family and friends, maybe more so than I was in restaurants. And, some people uh, just bring that, those emotions and that connection to their restaurant. But for me, I was finding myself transitioning away from it. And I think turning to Italian cuisine in a, in a deeper, more profound way was a natural thing to do because Italian cooking really is home cooking um, it's at its best. It, it, it truly is. And um, it, it, your first trip... Um, as I said, you were lucky to have relatives there, but you went with your sister and your mother, and I got a great bang out of your efforts at speaking the language when you had no understanding of it whatsoever. I thought that was the, there were some funny, funny things that you came up with. Yes, I I think I I just fortunately was so naive about <laughs> what it would take that that really helped. I it wasn't. I wasn't constrained by realizing all the odds that were against me to try to, to go off to Italy and, and learn to cook. And in, even just then, I can remember that that first morning after there was one cousin who was, uh, uh, she taught English to um, grade school children. And so she spoke lovely <laughs> English, but she was the only one. And so when she finally couldn't be with us to handhold and chaperone and translate we were left to our own devices and and it was a great bonding experience it's amazing with a good sense of humor and a little creativity how you can communicate and and I think what was so perfect for me is that food is such a means of communication so the the language just falls away when you're communicating through the foods that you're cooking and that was a really profound experience with that idea. You know, people really love Italy, and I've pondered, is it, I mean, they say wonderful things about how how um, welcoming and everything and the Italians are and how warm the, the culture is and so forth, and I wonder if it's because it is, uh, or is it partially because we encountering that are nicer when we're there. That's you know what a really I mean? nice observation. I, 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 I think it might be a little bit of both. But yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I, I think that uh, anyone appreciates someone who's interested or places value on what you're doing. And so if we Americans, when we go to... Um, to see the great architecture and the great art and eat the delicious meals or drink the wine and we're appreciative that just it just has a positive uh, it, it just it, it positivity just sort of flows out of that I, I think that might be part of it 
but I I think there's something else. I, I know I had that experience so much when I was trying to cook. I would invariably meet, um, in, in addition to my relatives, but but people that I was meeting, as soon as they found out that I was interested in cooking and I could ask, I wanted to know more about it. I wanted to know how they made this or what their story was behind it or uh, what what they ever they had to offer, um, then they not only wanted to help me make the dish in question, but they wanted to show me about other dishes. It just sort of bred this enthusiasm, <laughs> and that uh-huh. was really rewarding for me. Well, you do, have, you, you do have a lot of recipes. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you have been, traveled all over Italy multiple times, um, and, but you focus on in this book, called a blissful feast um, on those three areas Piedmont uh, Maremma and uh, Le Marche Um, and and you have those stories about your experiences and then you have which I'm assuming are very authentic recipes from whoever it was that gave you the recipe in that particular region is that the, the gist of it that's a good way to sum it up. Um, I think often um, it is certainly not an exhaustive survey of the cuisines of each of those recent regions. Well, it couldn't it be. Is, <laughs> it, it couldn't be. And there's 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 classic or important or or uh, iconic dishes that are not represented in my book. And the reason is that I simply I didn't encounter them or I I didn't have a story that went along with them. I, I, my purpose in writing all these was to, to just sort of imbue the foods with, with more meaning. I think that so often in American culture, we don't think very much about what we're eating or when we're eating or with whom we're eating. And, and it, it, it just is something that we carry out. I don't know. If we could sometimes plug ourselves into a gas station and infuse the calories that way maybe we would be just as happy and and I, it's something that has kind of been lost in the last couple generations about food and so I just wanted people to know that there are stories there are my stories there is the history of the ingredient there's the the story that I learned uh, from cooking with a particular person and sort of by offering up those stories to uh, season each dish or the recipe, hoping that those would help engender other stories for people who are reading it and maybe going on to then try the recipes themselves. Now, people can also get out of this, though, um, good recipes for some um, signature dishes from these regions. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and and you you give information, give out information um, that I just hadn't thought about and that was new to me, even after all the the time spent in Italy, Um, you know, and and traditions and things, even though you do point out that there's this big regional um, difference. Well, now, what what happened to the gnocchi? There was a story about the gnocchi. And I didn't read oh the yeah! The, oh, the, the film. Somehow, somehow, the, the Noki got lost. We we lost <laughs> the pictures. They that was like the jewel of <laughs> right the the one of the most um, 
one of the experiences that left the greatest impression upon me and my sister and my mom, I'd say, was this this initial uh, morning preparing gnocchi with my mother's cousin, whom we called Zia Giuseppina. That means Aunt Giuseppina. She's not technically my aunt. I don't know the family tree. I'd have to figure that out. But Zia Giuseppina is, is how I always referred to her and what she felt like to me. And uh, we had this wonderful morning spent making gnocchi, and which are little flour potato dumplings that uh, you you make a dough and roll out in a rope and cut into small pieces. Um, then you can uh, use a gnocchi, riga gnocchi, something that makes the ridges on the gnocchi that catches the sauce. And we had a wonderful morning making these gnocchi, and then we ate them for the midday meal. And my sister Nancy took pictures of the whole uh, event, and this was back, I say in the book, this was back before people took pictures of the food that they were making and and then posted them online and it was back before even the internet. And and so it was just so special to have those pictures and then somehow when we got back from our trip, we, that roll of film was missing and we never found it. So I I know. (laughs) And I think that was one of the reasons why I, I knew I had to write about it. I just, I felt like if I could make create an image of it on paper, um, then that would just have to stand in for, for not having those photos anymore, ever, or ever. It's funny. It's funny. We, had, we had one of the very first digital cameras out there because, oh, yeah. because, of, because, of, because of what we were doing, recording. I mean, I did it uh, when I was reviewing restaurants and But we were in one place. It was in, it was in a suburb of of Rome, not, not far from where the Pope lives. And then the name of the town started with an A, I think. That's all I can remember. But we're, we're in this restaurant down, down, a, down an alley, a steep alley, and we're taking pictures... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, of, go ahead. ...of the food. And, and everybody in the restaurant was so intrigued because they'd never seen a digital camera before. So we finished up sh- shooting everybody in the restaurant... Yeah, everybody wanted their photos taken so they could see it instantly, you know. Uh, and then just, just to give you an idea how long ago it was, yeah. we, we sent we sent them the picture on a floppy disk. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know. Times have changed. We never, we never, we never, we never, we were never sure whether they were received or appreciated. But, <laughs> but, but, but it certainly seemed like it. Um, You're right. You, even in the you would have a good time. If, I don't know if you've done it or not, but if, if you go on our website under um, OTM and pictures, you will recognize periods and, and uh, eras and places and really interesting stuff. It's just a good history. Hmm? Yeah. Remember, you remember Lucio Pompili? We had, we had a restaurant. His restaurant was called... Was called Symposium della Quattro Stagioni. Oh yes. And we, and we had a reservation there that somebody had made on our behalf, so we went up to the place and there were no lights on. And we, and we didn't we didn't understand what what at all was going on because sh- surely these important food journalists from the United States, the chef would would bother <laughs> to show up. Exactly. It it, it, uh, it turned out. Uh, that a neighbor was there, so we, I think we were doing a U-turn in his driveway, 
and he suggested another restaurant we might go to. And a couple of days later, we caught up with Chef Lucio, who it turn, turned out had been in Naples and had stayed in Naples because his daughter was in the Miss Italia pageant. Which <laughs> is one of our most favorite TV <laughs> and we, shows. And we, and we said, we, said we, had a, we had a reservation, and Lucio said something like, if I'm not there, the restaurant is closed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so we it, said, okay, what are we going to do? Something interesting bits of history. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about the history of um, the Pizzels, um, their mm-hmm. Pizzetta. Um, and, and you, tra- you chase, chase down all these things, and in this case, to um, very specific to uh, the, the, the French involvement in, in Piedmont, right? Right. That that was my my conclusion. I th- it's one of those things. So much about cooking ha- has not been documented because people didn't think it was important. And so sometimes we have to just go on the best evidence we can find and conjecture. Um, but I but the story has to do with the the name of the pizzelle. And then I grew up speaking it with an American accent, Pizzelli, we called them, and I think that's what most Americans um, <laughs> say, or, or Pizzelles, they all, people often say. And uh, my grandmother didn't refer to them that way. She called them Ficelle, and no yeah. one could figure yeah. out why that was. And what I was able to determine was, uh, being from the Piedmont, she had a lot of, of French influence in the dialect uh, that she spoke rather than the standard Italian which she learned in school and and that name connected her to her French heritage and I just found it so fascinating yeah Yeah. you know I I went to school in Florence and um, and at how long ago that was um, I learned of course Toscana and that's what you learned and um, the first time I was in Sicily, I couldn't believe it. I had never heard a Sicilian dialect. I mean, my background is Sicilian, but nobody spoke like that. It was a foreign language, totally. Exactly. That's you that's couldn't understand a word. I mean, this man was talking language. to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's in on one part what's so beautiful about being in Italy and for somebody trying to learn Italian and communicate it's very frustrating. Uh, you, I know um, when those first evenings when we were visiting, I would uh, and then also after I'd started studying the language, maybe even more so that time I'd started studying the language and I was so looking forward to after having spent six weeks at a language school, I was going to go visit my relatives and I'd finally be able to sit down at dinner with them and speak (laughs) to them and understand. And invariably I would understand the first part of whatever it is they said, but then they get so excited and happy to tell it to me, especially the older generation, that they'd revert to their Piemontese dialect. And I would never hear the endings to the jokes or the endings to the story because I couldn't understand them. Well, the the other thing that I like about this is um, people don't I mean I think generally Americans um, are tuned into having specific recipes to follow and and how you ever got these recipes from your relatives I have no idea even your grandmother because we we tried um, this guy who has a local 
cooking show on TV in our public BBS station, um, we decided we were going to get all the Sicilians in town, and we were going to make, um, what, was the, what were we going to make? The fig cakes. Rabbit, now I can't even remember. I have no word. idea. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, Italian You're going to get together with Michele, I'm sure. But what, yeah, and, and so uh, he got his family recipe out, and I got my, I had five recipes, and we couldn't put them all together for a single I mean, mine had things like one jar of grape jelly. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And there were uh, things like, you know, two-inch stick of butter. Um, yeah, half a I remember asking this. my grandmother how long, how long. I need the piece of dough. She said, she looked at me and I think she had doubts about my mental capacity at the time. She said, until it's done. Until it's done. It's obvious. That, that actually was a challenge for me trying to, I wanted to put the recipes down so that people could try to, um, to replicate them. And uh, I think one thing that did help me with that is, is having worked in professionally cooking in kitchen so that you learn and also growing up I didn't my mother didn't really use recipes growing up neither did my grandmother so sort of I absorbed some of this and learned other techniques and uh, working in kitchens about what does it look like what does it sound like what does it feel like when it's done or when it's the right consistency so that really helped me but I had to kind of extrapolate and work backwards with with cooking and then trying to measure it and trying to time it so that I could put a recipe down that would work. And I do often say, I tried to be very careful about saying, uh, add a little bit more water if it seems to be boiling away or, you know, it's about 15 to 20 minutes, but until it's nicely browned and, and, you know, things like that, because those are the kinds of those those are the kinds of things that really are help help you cook, but we just we're not quite as confident anymore in our cooking. So we need those precise directions, and I I try to include those. Uh, yeah, we did. And, and I enjoyed your 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 story about rabbit also, and um, and the, of course it's not common here. I grew up on it, but you know, of course you're talking about bunnies, and when you're talking in the United <laughs> States, right? <laughs> and Peter can tell you about a, a, a Sardinian menu. We found this wonderful item called Grand Prix. Guess what that was? I'll tell the story, <laughs> Rabbit. Well, did, did you? Can you guess? I want. To, I want to hear it from you. Well, no, you're <laughs> supposed to guess. The fun. The fun is you have to guess. Oh, okay. What is Grand Prix? Grand yes. Prix. Grand Prix. We'll, 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 we'll let you we'll let you in in the interest of time. It means it's, it's horse meat. Oh. Horse meat. <laughs> so well, Peter I, said, yeah. he, try explaining this in, in a language you don't speak, because Peter doesn't speak any Italian. That actually you, the Grand Prix is the winner, and, and the meat should probably be from the one that was the slowest, not the fastest. Oh, that is so funny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, I, that is definitely still a part of, of um, Italian culture, French culture, many different cuisines that were here in the United um, States. In, in the United States, forget it. There's no way. Yeah. I, I don't know if I ever told you, 
we have. But we, we used to, we used to, my mother used to cook that occasionally. Uh-huh. In the mid in the mid nineteen forties, when when meat was in scarce supply. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, yeah, I actually if you got it in Britain. If you couldn't if you couldn't get liver and you couldn't get fish, and you couldn't get this and you couldn't get the other, then horse was the next thing. And I didn't know they sold it in the UK. It was well, this is in this is in the nineteen forties fifties. Because yeah, it was I know my grand- when there was yeah. rationing on everything. Exactly. My grandmother told stories about um, uh, in, the, in the Piedmont, not so much anymore, but in, back in the day, uh, that, that it was definitely considered a, a delicacy. And she commented sort of nostalgically that that was one of the only nice things about the rationing of <laughs> World War II is that she could actually go to the butcher and get horse meat. So, well, you know, I can't quite wrap my head around that either, but that's, that's the way it is. Well, maybe you could tell me, since you teach you teach cooking and you teach um, Italian language, um, I never quite got the difference between um, a, um, a a store, a, a butcher shop selling cavallo, and one that sold equity. Oh, that is junky. And, oh, and you're kidding. Cash. No, well, wait a minute, because that would be Asino. I almost wonder if, um, because I haven't seen shops selling, selling horse meat um, in recent years, um, oh. I would have to guess that it's just a dialect thing, just like they have different words for the same thing all over Italy. Um, so, we saw, so maybe we saw that's... It a lot. We saw it a lot in, Lama- in uh, not, not La Marche, in... We did, we did see it quite a lot in La Marche. But we saw it most the, what's, what's the bottom left? Bottom yeah, the right bottom left. <laughs> the bottom right side. <laughs> what's, what's the bottom right hand corner called? There? <laughs> that somebody's just so discovered. Apulia. We saw it in Apulia a lot. Mm-hmm. And and it it could be. I know, like uh, where when I have seen it, it's been a separate Don't shop. It hasn't been. Yeah, um, well, see, that's what there's I also sausages. Yeah, there's sausages that are made, um, you know, from. The horse meat and uh, mule or donkey and things. it just it has to do I think it's a cultural cultural thing of what's available to be eaten and I think that um, you know I, I'm an omnivore I, I um, but I do I do take great pains to find food that is healthy that has been raised humanely, and I think that that's what that's where I come down on that platform. I know everybody has his or her own opinion about whether you should be eating meat or not, and which meats you should be eating. But uh, that's where I come down. Right, I'm just good with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, I loved more, your story about, about skinning the rabbit because my mother claimed that um, she was. Uh, Able, she knew how to skin a rabbit at the time she was eight years old. Yeah, that was impressive to me. I hadn't, I hadn't even imagined how effort, not effortlessly, but cleanly, the skin would come away. Yeah, well, it, I think it, it must be a, easy if an eight-year-old could do it. <laughs> it's true when you're taught to do something, and then you can, you can do it. Uh, just practice, and there you have it. Now you've got your job, and I think that 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 just. Uh, 
that is something else I think that is coming around again as more people are cooking is that they're letting kids have jobs in the kitchen that they can that they can do. And my, they, my granddaughter I, bakes all the time. She's right, and they and just keep roast their product. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. I, I think it's wonderful. Well, you know, we, we we just sort of hinted at the treasure that's in this book, um, and I think it's the kind of thing where even in the interview we can't get the real. Uh, the, the, the subtlety, the, the joy that comes through it, which is what struck oh, thank me. You. And I, it, it, listeners, you're just going to have to get it and read it front to back, and and make some of these classic recipes that um, you're probably dying to make anyhow. And this is the real scoop on how to do it. Again, it's a possible feast, and it's by Teresa Lust, which is not your maiden name. <laughs> It actually is. Um, it's my dad's, my dad's last name. He, my, so my dad, my mother is um, the Italian side of the family. My dad's last name is Lust. He was a um, German, uh, American, English uh, farm. Oh, okay. Family. So it is but, so, so yeah, I, we always joke in my family that we got hot-blooded Italian from my mother and hard-headed Italian or hard-headed German from my dad and so it's that's the best of both worlds <laughs> well it's been a delight meeting you and enjoyed your book thoroughly oh and, thank you uh, so much, much success. pleasure thank you it, yes indeed it was just a pleasure to talk to you and thanks for having me on okay now you, you need to tell her the story rabbit Oh, she's gone. Are you gone? Oh, I hear. No, I'm still okay. here. Okay, I mean, because we didn't get the candid camera story. Oh yeah, I want to hear it. I know the time just flew by. Yeah. The what? We were. I forget even where we were. But um, I was using the office computer. And um. Pardon? I'm talking. Are you there, Teresa? I am. Oh, what what do you ask me? Teresa's there to get the candid camera story. She is there or not? She is here hey, yeah. on the phone. Okay. Can you? You tell me? it, Rabbit, because you you know it firsthand. Can, can you can you can you hear me? I certainly can. Okay. We, we, we were staying overnight near Ancona in Mamarque. Oh, that's right. Oh, in, wow. In a, pro- mm-hmm. in a property that used to be. A Napoleonic era fort. Right. Anyway, not that that really matters. Anyway, we're <laughs> at breakfast the next morning, and uh, for, some, for some reason, I think Anne, Anne went to the toilet, and I went back to the back to our room because we needed. I was to using the computer in the office. And I and I, and I walked. I, I, walked the toilet doesn't come up till later. <laughs> no, I walked. I walked into. I walked into the room, and there were, and there were the. Our room, which toilet, was locked. The toilet oh. door was open. I walked into the room, and the toilet door was open, and there was a big, fat Italian sitting on our toilet. <laughs> oh, my. Harry. I mean, he was really awful looking. Fat so I, sc- I, I screamed at him, uh, and he said something about, I, I, I mean, I guess I know now that it was Candid Camera Italia. Oh, my. But Somebody I, let him in our hotel room. Could you pick this? Oh my went, gosh! I went to the I went to the front desk and I said, "Do you realize what would have happened if my wife had been the one who opened the door?" <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I think it's I think it's a funny story now. I didn't think it was. So it funny. was not funny at the I, time. Um, it was, it was maybe not been a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Next up, we're going to be talking to Donna Leonard, um, a gentleman who has an extraordinary instinct recreating the kind of Mediterranean warmth that that she was so inspired by in Spain and Italy. Um, Her restaurant, the book, it's titled for her restaurant, Il Buco, and uh, listen to her story. Oh, Donna Leonard, I'm telling you, your book, Il Buco, is making me so homesick, especially since we haven't been able to, to travel. And you too, because you're used to being in Spain and Italy a lot, right? I am. I think we're. I'm, I'm right in the same boat with you. Yeah. Now, this this book is sort of a 25th anniversary tribute book, isn't it? Yes, I think it's it it is. I think it's it's my tying a ribbon around these past 25 or so years. Um, journey, uh, which has taken me to Obuco and through these last years. Well, you certainly have had an interesting life. At one point, I was having trouble keeping track of the characters. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you too. <laughs> but no, you, you're co-author on this one. Pardon? Sometimes I wish I didn't have to keep track of them. <laughs> Well, of course, a lot of them still hung around longer, right? But um, except your first sad tragedy um, with your fiance, that was so sad. Um, but I was so happy that you had a son, and and, and everything worked out. Your co-author Joshua David Stein is. Um, we've interviewed him a lot, and he's really good. And so uh, the the book is a wonderful read. It's so rich in details, I don't know if we're ever going to get to do justice to it. Um, the foreword is by Alice Waters. That's a cute picture of her, too. Um, and, mm-hmm. yeah, and your introduction is something like 17 pages. <laughs> includes pictures. Uh, and and you, you interweave stories and recipes, and um, I like both parts. Um, the, the, there's a part that, how did you get the feeling right? Because most of the things you've done really are unconventional and risky, and yet it all worked out right. Yeah. How did you develop that? Um, by not developing it. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think you're supposed to be a filmmaker, right? Well, yes, I, I am, and and I think when you talk about feeling, I think that's something that that gets created with you and in spite of you and because of you. So I think um, my, I guess my aim has always to do to to follow my heart, to do what 
um, what feels true to me um, and hope that other people um, get it and respond to it and the people that do respond to it become the people that enjoy what I do and, 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 and allow it to grow. So I, I think um, both Alberto, my original partner, and myself work that way from the gut, from the heart, from like more on an instinctive le- level of finding this incredible space, feeling that it had a special energy, and letting that energy lead us and our own passions about life and beautiful things and food and wine um, without trying to make something into something. It was more an organic process of finding a beautiful space and deciding to um, rent it in order to export Americana to Spain and Italy or open an antique store that eventually, you know, got a wine and beer license that became a restaurant. You know, it was a kind of a backdoor approach, but just following the energies um, of what we were doing and the space and the people who came in and joined us. And, um, yeah. Well, you, you had a, a series of, of very lucky encounters with spaces and people. Yeah. I mean, they, sure. you, you said at one point, it's probably different now, but in the book you say that you had 15 chefs, and you don't have to rattle off all of them, but some of them are really major influences in the culinary um, um, foodscape. Yes, I feel I've been very fortunate to work with some really incredibly talented people. And, and you also have had some really interesting um, client clientels. <laughs> you know, interesting clientele. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an old art history person, so um, seeing because you write in the midst of all the artist community too. Although it's very different yeah. now. I haven't been for a while, but it's probably very different now. Um, that um, you, you've had, who have been some of your ongoing clients, customers? Um, well, check close across the street. John yeah, that's that's down amazing. The street. <laughs> yeah, um, check close is like Schreiber down the street. Yeah. Is an icon. <laughs> he really is. I mean, I'm, I haven't seen him in a long time. I hope he's doing well. Um, now, uh, there was something I was going to just give us a few of the, the chefs that have passed through. I should point out you and your original partner um, are, are not chefs, trained chefs. No. Uh, although you have a, a thing about food, right on the mark, food. Um, we have a thing. <laughs> we have a thing. Yeah, you do. I love that. <laughs> so, but you've, you've had some really major talents in your kitchens. Yes, um, and most before they were they were there and recognized. So I think that's been a really wonderful journey to work with some of these people, um, because honestly, you know, our our methodology was not to hire um, known chefs. Um, or what my partner would call chefs of the future with big egos and um, who would want to, like, take over and do too much to the food, but to find people who resonated with our philosophy of, you know, few simple, incredible ingredients um, put together in a respectful way um, to make 
a beautiful, simple dish. So we look for people who share that philosophy and um, and had a great time working with them and and watching them grow and develop and sometimes, you know, fly off and do their own thing. Um, yeah, you say when they first start, you, you kind of keep a close eye on the kitchen, but when they, they get their footing, you slowly back out the door. Correct. I don't think any chef who's worth their weight wants an owner, you know, breathing down their back all the time, and I think it's really important to um, hire people who share a philosophy and allow them to express their creativity because that's the only way they're going to enjoy what they're doing and, and be their best. Um, and I'm, you know, living above the restaurant all those years um, and eating so often in the restaurants and sharing my thoughts and collaborating with them, um, you know, it's easy for me to... to um, to share in the process without overwhelming the process, without interfering in the process. I so you lived, that you lived upstairs? Yes, I live above the restaurant. Oh, you still do? I still do. <laughs> well, How old is your son now? My beach house. <laughs> wow. Um, when I'm not out here in my beach house right now, I haven't. Oh, right. You're in, I haven't you're in the Hamptons. More than, more than a night in my, in my house in about eight months. Um, <laughs> My son is 15 years old. Okay. And, of course, you included him in the Italian experience. When I say Italian experience, what I'm saying is also, I mean, there's also a Spanish component because, uh, uh, yeah, because yeah, your first partner was uh, actually um, spent a lot of time and was in love with Spain, especially that area of Spain, which is, um, we got our octopus and the calamari from Gula on Long Island. Do you know them? Mm-hmm. No, well, he, I don't. Yeah, well, he's good. And he does. Um, he gets his octopus and, and all that from um, Galicia. Beautiful. And, yeah, and, check and it out. he has a, a process that saved me. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's... It's probably the equivalent of when our ancestors used to take the, the octopus and beat it on the rocks. They could pre-tenderize it. Yeah, he gets them already tenderized. Yeah. So, um, now, uh, let's run through, I mean, just to get everybody oriented. Uh, your restaurants. Sure. Yeah, no, okay. Same. Okay, so... So there's Il Buco on Bond Street, the, the original, now 26 years old. Um, and, um, and then 17 years later, um, we opened Il Buco Alimentari in Vineria, which is exactly one block north um, <laughs> on Great Jones Street, 53 Great Jones. And that's more like the, what we call, you know, we, we call Il Buco the living room. Um, kind of home feeling and elementary is more like the production studio um, where we have um, 2,500 square feet of space downstairs that we dedicate to making our own bread and salumi and all of our production for pastry and and preparation. Um, And then, um, of course, we have the market in the front where we sell all those products and cheeses and more um, and imported products from Italy and local products and house-made products. Um, And then it's also um, 
quite a lovely restaurant with um, a terrace in front and an upstairs dining room as well. Um, and then we have um, uh, Bottega Ibuco, which is our little three-year-old outpost in um, Ibiza, on the island of Ibiza. It's a beautiful place, yeah. So pretty. We had a cousin who was married on Ibiza. Mm. Yeah, and just it's a, it's, a fun, it's a funny story. The uh, they called us and said, if we got married in Ibiza, would you come? <laughs> of course. And we, and we said, of co- we said, of course. So, so, so they so they turned around and said to all the other relatives who were questioning whether or not they wanted to go to all that trouble. They, they, Stephanie and and James, they said, Anne and Peter are coming. What's your excuse? <laughs> Perfect. So, so everybody came. It was, it was quite a gang. That's beautiful. Which part of the island did they have the wedding? Was it at a private home? or? It was, it was, on, it was on the beach. It was not that church. It was, on, um, it was an abandoned church. It was very rustic oh, wow. on a hill. Oh, right, 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 right. And then, yeah, and then, the and then they had the reception right on the water, and the reception yeah, the reception right was right on the, the beach. So, some on people beach. stayed up yeah, all night. We, we did not. Yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> thing I still remember is usually when we were getting up in Ibiza, the, the partiers were coming home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the side of the island that made me never go to Ibiza. The only time I went was... Um, probably 10 years ago with my with my husband um, in October. So when, when Alberto told me about going in October to check it out, I said, yes, it's the only time to go in the off-season. Yeah. Little did I know it would be actually opening a restaurant there. But um, we're in the beautiful little center village of Santa Gertrudis, which is far from the craziness of the parties, which, mm-hmm. of course, are not going on right now during COVID. Um, but it's, it's you know, I really fell in love with the island, and 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 it's beautiful, real incredible nature and beauty, and and kind of mysticism. You know, it's quite quite mystical that island. If you stay away from all the parties. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's there's another little island just off the coast. It starts with an F, right? Formentera, absolutely lovely. I spent probably more time in Formentera than I had in Ibiza. It's really beautiful place too. And they're 20 minutes apart, so quite easy to go back and forth. Well, now you weave your personal stories and experiences and the people you meet, the producers that you're on, on really good close terms with because you're very particular about yeah. the products you use. Um, and But then you also you highlight um, some recipes. Which I already found I, I have a... Um, a slab rack of lamb riblets, and I couldn't figure out. I mean, I kept finding all these recipes for how long to cook them, and I couldn't believe that it took so long. But you have a recipe in the book for them, and you you say long and slow. You're talking three and three quarters hours. Yeah, for the for the lamb ragu. Yeah, no, for the just yeah. the riblets. For the uh, lamb riblets, the, the slab of lamb riblets, you have a special recipe for it. 
Now you're now you're stumping me. The only lamb oh. recipe I know of in the book it's is lamb a, ribs with romesco. Oh, lamb, lamb ribs, ribs with romesco. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, in the in the in the appetizers. Of course. Yes, it's good. Good, good. Yeah, um, those are delicious. And yes, they do. If you cook them long, the, the fat renders and they fall off the bone, and it's delicious. But there's so many recipes in this book that, I mean, just if, if people want to cook, I mean, your um, octopus a la Gallega um, is, um, I mean, it's perfect. It's the, the classic octopus recipe with potatoes yes. that I've always loved. Absolutely. That Pete Wells fell in love with at the restaurant. And so Chuck Close is my is my biggest octopus fan. Oh, that's the first thing I order anytime. Um, <laughs> I, I had some trouble. I felt like I don't like cutting the heads off of the whole octopus. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> The what? I understand. I'm having a hard time eating octopus at all right now since I've discovered what what advanced intelligent creatures they are. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> when I didn't know that, it was not a problem. <laughs> but to actually, you know, cut it out with my kitchen. You I mean, them. Yeah. I mean, pigs are supposed to be very smart, but we still eat pork chops. Yeah, they, they <laughs> that's true. And porchetta. That's true. Um, that's true. And and Tommy, you have a porchetta recipe in there. We do. That's one of that's one of the favorite classic Obuco dishes um, that uh-huh. people love, and we do it um, as an entree and also as a panino, which is equally delicious. We're getting ready to have a little. Um, a mini pig roast up at a friend's farm to celebrate the book in a couple of weeks as well. Oh, you are? Okay. We're just putting together now. Wish you could come. I wish you were all here. <laughs> we haven't been anywhere. And we're used to basically, um, we've we've covered all the food festivals, all the awards programs, um, all, you know, all those, just the conferences, and they've just all been canceled. Yeah. Everything's That's been canceled. Yeah. And just, you know, um, I heard from friends in, in Italy about how hard it was when everything was closed down, and then everything started opening up again, and they're all back closed down again. I know. Um, My partner's daughter just tested positive last week. so Who did? Been a bit freaked out. My partner in Italy's daughter. You know, You're just, kidding. You know, had had a fever overnight and thought it was nothing and, you know, no other symptoms and is fine today, 10 days later, but um, that's the positive. Good luck, good luck trying to take it somewhere and have somebody work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 there's a, so, there's a, so there's a little bit of sound that, that comes from the fact that I'm talking into a, uh, into a headset on a telephone instrument. Rather okay. than talking it. into a sound mixer, so uh, gotcha. and no I, worries. I have to work. With, I have to work with what with what I have, and exactly because uh, that's what you have to do. That's you it. Know, you, that's you, know, you know about that too, right? <laughs> mhm. Absolutely. So um, anyhow, um, 
what, what else do you think everybody should know about the book? I'm giving you a, um, an opportunity to do a, a, a spiel on, on the value of the book and its recipes. Okay. Well, I, I, I just didn't want to brush over the fact that aside from having the three restaurants, um, we do have this beautiful um, tabletop artisan home line called the Buco Vita which is um, a collection of uh, beautiful wares handmade in Italy, ceramics and glassware and cutting boards and marble mortars and pestles and linens and um, all beautiful things that my um, two dear friends who are cousins, so uh, Antonello and, and Lorenzo Rotti, have helped me source in Italy over the past five years. Um, so that's another kind of labor of love project that we we're working on, and that's actually... Um, had some nice success during COVID as people are looking at beautifying their homes and feeling good at home um, at a time when, when that's really where we're doing most of our eating and drinking. Um, but the book is, um, you know, for me, meant to be um, a terrific uh, piece of of of. Uh, storytelling to have on your coffee table um, and to curl up on your sofa and open up on a rainy day or when you're feeling like you just have time to really um, travel. Decline that. Um, so you and, travel virtually, um, right? Right, to have a virtual travel, you know, through Italy and Spain and some of these beautiful faces and people and stories. Um, and I hope get inspired to get into your kitchen and cook. Um, hopefully you'll do you 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 want to play around with the recipe from the book, but I think just to get people um, really thinking about beautiful food and um, and beautiful places to travel to, and then jump into your kitchen and and let loose and follow your heart um, with a recipe next to you or without, and um, and have a, a another little um, beautiful piece of life to enjoy. Well, you do all that with the book, Donna. Um, listeners, again, it's uh, Donna Leonard, and it's called Il Buco. And uh, it's just a gorgeous book, Donna, and you should be very proud of it. And, and I'm, I don't even know you, and I'm proud of all your accomplishments. <laughs> it's a page-turner, your book, about your experiences. Well, it's lovely talking to the two of you, and I hope that you sound like real kindred spirits, and I think um, it would be wonderful to be able to, to sit down um, at El Buco someday soon and, and share some of, some of your stories um, with some of my recipes and my chef's recipes and a beautiful bottle of wine um, oh, and, and connect yeah, good, good, um, actually in person. Sagrantino di Montefalco. Sagrantino from Montefalco from right and, and Montefalco is of course the the village that you stayed in, um, yes. which is where most of the grapes are grown. Well Donna, thank you again and hello to Josh for us too. All right, I will send him your very best and I'm sure he sends his best back to you. Yes. And I, I think I'd like to say that to find someone like him who so um, seamlessly was able to capture my voice and the stories 
and bring it all um, together in this book. It was a great collaboration, and it's wonderful to be able to um, look back at 26 years um, between, you know, two bindings and um, and to reflect on on uh, a part of your life, which is really um, fun. Thank you. Well, well, thank you. Well, we meet so many uh, amazing people and uh, have over the years doing this podcast. Um, and so when when we realized that the amazing Cecilia Chang um, passed away at 100, uh, we, we were sad. Um, we dug into our archives, and uh, we're going to replay for you an interview we did with her in 2007 about her memoir. Um, Cecilia introduced authentic Chinese flavors into this country um, just about single-handedly and was remarkable. Welcome back to On the Menu. Don't forget that you can keep in touch with all our activities at our website, www.onthemenuradio.com. You can send us emails. We'd love to hear from you. At on the menu at on the menu radio.com. Nice and easy for you to be able to remember. And for the convenience, uh, if, if you prefer it, you can even actually do that straight from our website. There's a special place to click that you can do that. Uh, on the menu sometimes has the fortunate opportunity to be able to span the globe with a single guest. And Cecilia Chang, who's our, who's our next guest upcoming, has done exactly that because she started out her life more than half a world away. Cecilia, welcome to On the Menu. Uh, t- tell us about this really long journey that's been your life in food. Uh, well, uh, you want me started uh, when I was a child? <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like I, was born at, I was born at an early age, they always say. <laughs> Uh, and, and that I was born in uh, China, and uh, I was born in Beijing. Uh, I was born in Shanghai, and then I was uh, educated in Beijing when I was uh, a child. I don't even quite remember exactly the age, probably four or five years old. So my family from Shanghai moved to Beijing from south to north. And that time, Beijing was the old capital of uh, China. And this was this was a China that we wouldn't recognize today, correct? It, it, yes, that's old China <laughs> and uh, old Beijing. And uh, we leave uh, our home just uh, somewhere about ten minutes from from Forbidden City, Tiananmen Square, just near that area. Now your and book is called The Seventh Daughter because you were the seventh. Of ten children, seventh daughter. Because uh, we, I came from a big family. We have uh, twelve children by the same parents, and the nine girls and the three boys. So I'm the number seven. Oh, see, I thought there were ten or twelve. Amazing. (laughs) How how many? However many bathrooms did you have for that many daughters? Nine daughters. <laughs> Nine daughters. How many bathrooms? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm almost, uh, uh, I have two younger sisters, so I'm uh, also kind of uh, uh, the, the little one in our family, always well sheltered by, yeah. you know, my parents and also by my older brothers, sisters. 
Yeah, now you went from a very privileged, sheltered childhood through the whole cultural revolution, as it's called in China, yes. uh, to probably one of the saddest points in the book was when your father died, when you had returned. Uh, yes. What year was that? Yes, when, uh, uh, when I remember, since I was a child, I remember we have many wars in China. You know, the Civil War. You know, the Civil War and always the landlord fight, fighting each other about the territory, you know, this is mine, that is always fighting, always fighting. And I remember, then later, the 1937, uh, Japanese uh, invade China, started from Manchuria, and then uh, um, occupied uh, Beijing. And that time, I was uh, in... Uh, then later, first I was uh, I was in the in the little school. Then later on, they move in anyway. All all kinds of work. So uh, when they were uh, they were occupy most part of uh, China. Then I left with my sister, number five sister. Uh-huh. We walked from Beijing to Chongqing. That was an amazing journey. Yeah, that was a long, long journey. We walked about five months uh, to get to Chongqing. And uh, by that time, our whole body is full of uh, fleas. And uh, we got in the hair, in the clothes, uh, just about everywhere. Huh. Anyway, so we got in the free China. So... Um, Finally, we found, uh, we didn't know anybody, and, you know, those days we didn't even have a map. We just walked from village to village and asked people, what is the next stop? What is the next stop? Mm. And then uh, during that time, the Japanese airplane uh, was on the air, and also they used the machine gun to kill all these innocent people. And... Um, so I remember very well one day we were near Henan province and uh, in the in the early morning and uh, the airplane started shooting and so we just happened that day we were on the road so we immediately we heard the Japanese plane so we hide in the field in the field and uh, cover with the corn plants. And you seem to very quickly understand to jump from this privileged background, this protected background, that yeah. what the rules were for living and surviving. Surviving, and this, yeah. Yeah, and your book is just, it traces all of your adventures in mm. learning how to survive and to thrive. And mm. I think, and it gets to the to this point where you come to San Francisco, what a brave thing, and mm-hmm. opened a restaurant all the way on your own, yeah, and and then uh, brought your children over, and uh, you left your husband in Tokyo. I mm. mean, you were a very independent woman. But that time I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you I didn't really know any didn't, better. Didn't didn't realize, you know, and just things that happened that way because, and uh, if I did, if I didn't. Uh, uh, by mistake, you know, get bought this uh, the, the restaurant by mistake. 
I wouldn't. I'd probably still end it in Japan. Oh, Just a very planned housewife and take care of the kids. Oh, I can't picture that because, I mean, I should mention, in case our readers don't, or our listeners don't know, that uh, that your restaurant, the Mandarin, really uh, exposed Americans to real, authentic Chinese cooking for the first time. Yes. And became, I mean, you had every celebrity in the world as a that's, patron there. That's right. Mm. And that, what an exciting time that was. You now the, the restaurant is closed, but you've, you've continued the, uh, the legacy in this book with all your recipes. Now, now, Cecilia, how were you able to do that? I mean, uh, Chinatown in San Francisco already existed. It was serving, you know, whatever, what passed for Chinese food, uh, in the United States. I mean, how was it that you were able, just yourself, to be able to be able to do this? But when I uh, first came to uh, San Francisco, you know, uh, I didn't know anybody. I only know one person. That was my sister, number six. So uh, and uh, so that time, and uh, she was alone. She lost her husband, and uh, so I came here to comfort her. So we walked to Chinatown, and. Uh, she didn't do any cooking, and I I didn't do any, much cooking either. So we just went to Chinatown, and uh, and eat because she her apartment just on the edge of power and the clay, you know, just on the edge of uh, outside Chinatown. So we just walked down so we can get all kinds of these uh, uh, little restaurants, and uh, the food was uh, terrible. Whenever we go. The same menu, they copy each other. And the chop three, you know, eight fuyong, that kind of thing. So I asked my sister, I said, this is something we never had when we were in China. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, well, she said, you got no choice. That's the way it is here, you know. And mostly uh, the owner of the restaurants are, they didn't have much education. And... Uh, this is something they create themselves, yeah, and then they copy each other. I see. And they are quite busy. All the business are pre- pretty busy. And the only one restaurant, I think, is um, have a tablecloth and they have a long bar, serve um, cocktails. That was Johnny Can, Can's uh-huh. on Grand Avenue. All the rest, um, the Chinese restaurants are very, very small. Most most of the restaurants don't have a tablecloth, no napkins, you know. Yeah, so it's you just, added this whole ambience of upscale, elegance, a really refinement to, to the whole of, of Chinese cuisine in, in a restaurant. So that so, time I just thought about, after, you know, um, I got this uh, this uh, list, and uh, my friends uh, back off. So I said, "Well, well, I have to do something really different with what uh, they do in the Chinatown. I really want to introduce the real authentic Chinese food to Americans." And you did. <laughs> and that that's the whole thing. And then another thing is, uh, I said, my restaurant I want to look like just like old. Uh, temple in China. I don't want, so I told the architect, I don't want anything red, no red, no gold, no dragons. No dragons. I remember <laughs> reading that. That was funny. And no red Latin. Because all the Chinese restaurants, they, 
they look the same. They yeah. all have dragons, red, lot of red lanterns, a yeah. lot of gold pillars, you know, all that. Now, what, what, Cecilia, where did you get the recipe? I mean, you were obviously cooking now to recipes that were new to San Francisco. I mean, did you, did you have these from when you were growing up, or did you? Uh, uh, I, I really never cooked in my life no, at that okay. time. Yeah, I, I remember the taste of my mother's. My mother was a very good cook, and uh, also we have uh, two cooks at home. One cook the northern part of a Chinese food, and one cook Shanghainese food. So I always remembered uh, what we had when we were young. So I remembered. And then before I came here, I had a restaurant in Tokyo. Oh, okay. So, so, so you were, so you were, you weren't, you weren't a, a rookie to the restaurant business well, when you came to San Francisco. That's a before much. before I came to uh, United States. So, but when I was in Japan, I, I, I was in the kitchen all the time, and I, I watched them how to do things, you know. But I never really cooked because that was a big restaurant, about three hundred seats. Well, but you have this book is, I mean, you've accomplished so much with your life and you've traversed so much history. And anybody who gets this book will, will find <laughs> that the whole fascinating history. I told you I read it cover to cover. It's a page turner. And, and also the, re- the recipes, which are emphasizing the pure, simple yes. food of China. And they're just brilliant recipes. But uh, because I I saw this book, probably a lot of um, uh, women going to read it, you know. So, and also I try to make uh, the housewives probably like to try the recipes. So I make the recipes as simple as possible, and also it's uh, very tasty and very easy to follow all the recipes. Yes. Recently, I had quite a few book signing parties here in town. So they have, they serve a little lunch and they pick up a, a few dishes. Uh-huh. And so was, uh, they all said it's so easy to follow and also tastes very good. Well, Last, at, the, the, um, the uh, New York Times just said that it was one of the best cookbooks of the year, right? Yes, yes. Well, I agree. And uh, anybody yeah. who wants to get it now, it's Cecilia Chang. It's called The Seventh Daughter. My Culinary Journey from Beijing to San Francisco. And you can get it on our website, on the menu, radio.com. And, uh, and the, the OTM bookshelf is where, is where you'll find it. And uh, Cecilia, are there, are there yes. restaurateurs in San Francisco who are following your tradition? I mean, your rest, you closed your restaurant. I guess you felt you had reached retirement age, so, so you stopped it. Are there Chinese restaurants that are maintaining your tradition, do you think? Oh, well, uh, I think right now, like we have quite a few dishes. Nobody ever ever make it. I just, just don't know why, like uh, my uh, minced uh, squab. That's you know, good. That's the one that yeah, I created. Good. That's the kind of our signature dish. But now nobody uses the squab. They all use either pork or chicken, mince, you know, and not quite taste the same. And also bigger chicken. And, uh, you know, Chuck Williams always said, why Cecilia, after 
you uh, you're retired, and nobody cooks that bigger chicken uh-huh. anymore. Yeah, that's uh, you're talking about. Uh, yeah, never. Nobody, no. They try to copy it, and somehow it just didn't, didn't work. work. So it, if they it, get it from this book, will it work? Yeah, and also I had the smoked tea duck. That's all our signature dish, and they are really delicious. All yeah. these some dishes are really outstanding. Even in the old days, some friends from. Um, Hong Kong, Taiwan, they came here, they said, all these few dishes, really, we cannot even get in China anymore. Oh. <laughs> have, we, you, uh, have you been back to China, Cecilia? Uh, I just came this, uh, I just came back, actually, about a month ago from uh, China. Yeah. I went to China, and then I went to Japan. And and are they ready I go, for the Olympics? I go there every year. Are they ready for the Olympics? Uh, yes, I hope I can go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I try, I try. I, since I can, you know, for my age, you you know, you never know. Someday you cannot walk anymore. So since I still can walk, I try my best. <laughs> oh, you sound just fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, 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 listeners, this is an adventure story uh, with a real-life heroine. It's a cookbook. Uh, with simple but genuine Chinese food, uh, um, you, you should you should buy a copy, and I'm going to say to Miss Anne, she should start cooking from it. Yes, <laughs> see what you got me into, Cecilia. So, so, so she's she's in trouble now because you said it was easy. Yeah, a lot of people tried, and uh, it, uh, they all said uh, very easy to follow and uh, very tasty. Oh, I have a, a young. I met a young lady the other day in the book time party. She is only about 15. She said, I tried your sesame seed, uh, that uh, shrimp, and also the salad. She oh. said, my, turned out very good. My mother said, I can do it again. <laughs> that was so, so cute. Well, that, that's, that's, just a, that's just a wonderful testament to, uh, yeah. to a, li- a life well lived. I think, uh, Cecilia, I suspect that uh, whatever's been going on, you've always managed to enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you. And uh, we thank you for being part of On the Menu. And listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you. Yes, and, and next, time you. We're in, next time we're in San Francisco, we'll call. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Bye, yeah. Cecilia. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Nice talk to you. You too. Yeah, bye. Bye. And, and, and listeners, that's a wrap for another session of On the Menu. We hope you enjoyed being a part of the show, and you'll join us again, same time, same place, next week. There you have it. Until next week, bye-bye. Welcome back to On the Menu. Don't forget that you can keep in touch with all our activities at our website, www.onthemenuradio.com. You can send us emails. We'd love to hear from you at onthemenu at onthemenuradio.com. Nice and easy for you to be able to remember. And for the convenience, uh, if, if you prefer it, you can even actually do that straight from our website. There's a special place to click that you can do that. Uh, on the menu sometimes has the fortunate opportunity to be able to span the globe with a single guest. And Cecilia Chang, who's our, who's our next guest upcoming, has done exactly that because she started out her life more than half a world away. Cecilia, welcome to On the Menu. Uh, t- tell us about this really long journey that's been your life in food? Uh, 
Well, uh, you want me started uh, when I was a child? <laughs> sounds like sounds like I was born at I was born at an early age. They always say. <laughs> uh, and, and that I was born in uh, China, and uh, I was born in Beijing. Uh, I was born in Shanghai, and then I was uh, educated in Beijing when I was uh, a child. I don't even quite remember exactly the age, probably four or five years old. So my family from Shanghai moved to Beijing from south to north. And that time, Beijing was the old capital of uh, China. And this was this was a China that we wouldn't recognize today, correct? It, it, yes, that's old China <laughs> and uh, old Beijing. And uh, we leave uh, our home just uh, somewhere about 10 minutes from uh, from Forbidden City, Tiananmen Square, just near that area. Now, your and book is called The Seventh Daughter because you were the seventh of ten children? Seventh daughter because uh, we... I came from a big family. We have uh, 12 children by oh, the 12. same parent. And the nine girls and the three boys. So I'm the number seven. See, I thought there were ten or twelve. Yes. Amazing. Yes. How, how many? However many bathrooms did you have for that many daughters? Nine daughters. <laughs> Nine daughters. How many bathrooms? Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm almost. Uh, uh, I have two younger sisters, so I'm uh, also kind of uh, uh, the the little one in our family. Always well sheltered by, yeah. you know, my parents and also by my older brothers, sisters. Yeah, now you went from a very privileged, sheltered childhood through the whole Cultural Revolution, as it's called in China, yes. uh, to probably one of the saddest points in the book was when your father died, when you had returned. Uh, yes. What year was that? Yes, so when, uh, uh, when I remember, since I was a child, I remember we have many wars in China, you know, the Civil War. You know, the Civil War and always the landlord fight, fighting each other about the territory. You know, this is mine, that is always fighting, always fighting. And I remember then later, the, 1937, uh, Japanese uh, invade China, started from Manchuria, and then uh, um, occupied uh, Beijing. And that time, I was uh, in. Uh, then later, first I was uh, I was in the in the little school. Then later on, they moved in anyway. All all kinds of work. So uh, when they were uh, they were occupy most part of uh, China. Then I left with my sister, number five sister. Uh-huh. We walked from Beijing to Chongqing. That was an amazing journey. Yeah, that was a long, long journey. We walked about five months uh, to get to Chongqing. And uh, by that time, our whole body is full of uh, fleas. And uh, we got in the hair, in the clothes, uh, just about everywhere. Anyway, so we got in the free China. So... um, Finally, we found, uh, we didn't know anybody. And, you know, those days we didn't even have a map. We just walked from village to village and asked people, 
what is the next stop? What is the next stop? Mm. And then uh, during that time, the Japanese airplane uh, was on the air, and also they used a machine gun to kill all these innocent people. And um, so I remember very well one day we were near Henan province, and uh, in the in the early morning, and uh, the airplane started shooting, and so we just happened that day we were on the road, so we immediately we heard the Japanese plane, so we hide in the field, in the field, and uh, cover with the corn plant. And, and you seem to very quickly understand to jump from this privileged background, this protected background, that yeah. what the rules were for living and surviving. And surviving, this, yeah. Yeah, and your book is just, it traces all of your adventures in mm. learning how to survive and to thrive. And mm. I think, and it gets to the, the this point where you come to San Francisco, what a brave thing, and mm-hmm. opened a restaurant all the way on your own, yeah, and and then uh, brought your children over, and um, you left your husband in Tokyo. I mm. mean, you were a very independent woman. But that time I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you I didn't really know any didn't, better. Didn't didn't realize, you know, and just things that happened that way because, and uh, if I did, if I didn't. Uh, uh, by mistake, you know, get bought this uh, the restaurant by mistake. I wouldn't. I probably still ended in Japan, oh, just a <laughs> very plain housewife and take care of the kids. Oh, I can't picture that because I mean I should mention, in case our readers don't, or our listeners don't know, that uh, that your restaurant, the Mandarin, really. Uh, exposed Americans to real, authentic Chinese cooking for the first time. Yes. And became, I mean, you had every celebrity in the world as a patron there. That's right. Mm. And that what an exciting time that was. You know, the, the restaurant is closed, but you've you've continued the uh, the legacy in this book with all your recipes. Now, now, Cecilia, how were you able to do that? I mean, uh, Chinatown in San Francisco already existed. It was serving, you know, what what passed for Chinese food uh, in the United States. I mean, how was it that you were able, just yourself, to be able to be able to do this? But when I uh, first came to uh, San Francisco, you know, uh, I didn't know anybody. I only know one person. That was my sister, number six. So uh, and. Uh, so that time, and uh, she was alone. She lost her husband, and uh, so I came here to comfort her. So we walked to Chinatown, and uh, she didn't do any cooking, and I I didn't do any, <laughs> much cooking either. So we just went to Chinatown, and uh, and eat because she her apartment just on the edge of power and the clay, you know, just on the edge of uh, outside Chinatown. So we just walked down. So we can get all kinds of uh, uh, these little restaurants, and uh, the food was uh, terrible. Whenever we go, the same menu they copy each other, and the chapstick, you know, eight fuyong, that kind of thing. So I asked my sister. I said, "This is something we never had in when we were in China." <laughs> I said, uh, "Well," she said, "You got no choice. That's the way it is here, you know." 
and mostly uh, the owner of the restaurants are they didn't have much education, and uh, this is something they create themselves, yeah, and then they copy each other. I see. And they are quite busy. All the business are pre- pretty busy, and the only one restaurant I think is. Um, have a tablecloth and have a long bar serve um, cocktails. That was Johnny Can, Can's uh-huh. on Grand Avenue. All the rest, um, the Chinese restaurants are very, very small. Most most of the restaurants don't have a tablecloth, no napkins, you know. Yeah, so it's you a, added this whole ambience of upscale elegance a really refinement to to the whole of, of Chinese cuisine in in a restaurant. So that time I just thought about after you know um, I got this uh, this uh, list and uh, my friends uh, back off. So I said, "Why? Well, I have to do something really different with what uh, they do in the Chinatown. I really want to introduce." the real authentic Chinese food to Americans. And you did. <laughs> and that That's the whole thing. And then another thing is, uh, I said, my restaurant I want to look like, just like an old uh, temple in China. I don't want, so I told the architect, I don't want anything red, no red, no gold, no dragons. No dragons. I remember <laughs> reading that. That was funny. And no red Latin. Because all the Chinese restaurants they they look the same. They yeah. all have dragons, red, lot of red lanterns, a yeah. lot of gold pillars. You know all that. Now, wh- where did, Cecilia, where did you get the recipe? I mean, you were obviously cooking now to recipes that were new to San Francisco. I mean, did you did you have these from when you were growing up, or did you? Uh, uh, I I really never cooked in my life no, at that okay. time. Yeah, I I remember the taste of my mother's. My mother was a very good cook, and uh, also we have uh, two cooks at home. One cook the northern part of a Chinese food, and one cook Shanghainese food. So I always remembered uh, what we had when we were young. So I remembered, and then before I came here, I had a restaurant in Tokyo. Oh, okay. Talking so, so, so you were, so you were, you weren't, you weren't a, a rookie to the restaurant business well, when you came to San Francisco. That's a before, much. before I came to uh, United States. So, but when I was in Japan, I, I, I was in the kitchen all the time, and I, I watched them how to do things, you know. But I never really cooked because that was a big restaurant, about three hundred seats. Well, but you have, this book is, I mean, you've accomplished so much with your life, and you've traversed so much history, and anybody who gets this book will will (laughs) find that the whole fascinating history, I told you I read it cover to cover, it's a page turner, and and also the the recipes which are emphasizing the pure, simple food of China, and they're just brilliant recipes. The, 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 because I, I saw this book, probably a lot of um, uh, women going to read it, you know. So, and also I try to make uh, the housewives probably like to try the recipes. So I make the recipes as simple as possible, and also 
It's very tasty and very easy to follow all the recipes. Yes. Recently, I had quite a few book signing parties here in town. So they have, they serve a little lunch and they pick up a, a few dishes. Uh-huh. And serve, was, uh, they all said it's so easy to follow and also tastes very good. Well, Last, at, <laughs> the, the, um, the uh, New York Times just said that it was one of the best cookbooks of the year, right? Yes, yes. Well, I agree. And uh, anybody yeah. who wants to get it now, it's Cecilia Chang. It's called The Seventh Daughter, My Culinary Journey from Beijing to San Francisco. And you can get it on our website, on the menu, radio.com. And, uh, and the, the OTM bookshelf is where, is where you'll find it. And... Uh, Cecilia, are there, are there yes. restaurateurs in San Francisco who are following your tradition? I mean, you, your rest, you closed your restaurant. I guess you felt you had reached retirement age, so, so you stopped it. Are there Chinese restaurants that are maintaining your tradition, do you think? Oh, well, uh, I think right now, like we have quite a few dishes. Nobody ever, ever make it. I just, just don't know why, like uh, my the minced uh, squab. Oh, that's you know? good. That's the one that yeah, that's I created. Good. That's the kind of our signature dish. But now nobody uses the squab. They all use either pork or chicken, mince, you know, and not quite taste the same. And also bigger chicken. And, uh, you know, Chuck Williams always said, Why, Cecilia, after you uh, you retired and nobody cooked that bigger chicken <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you're talking about... Uh, yeah, never, nobody, no, they tried to copy it and somehow it just didn't, didn't work. work. So it, if they it, get it from this book, will it work? Yeah, and also I had the smoked tea duff. That's all our signature dish and they are really delicious. All yeah. these, some dishes are really outstanding. Even in the old days, some friends from... Um, Hong Kong, Taiwan, they came here to visit. All these few dishes, really, we cannot even get in China anymore. Have you you been back to China, Cecilia? Uh, I just came came back, actually, about a month ago from uh, China. I went to China, and then I went to Japan. And And are they ready for the Olympics? I go there every year. Are they ready for the Olympics? Uh, yes, I hope I can go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I try, I try. I, since I can, you know, for my age, you you know, you never know. Someday you cannot walk anymore. So since I still can walk, I try my best. <laughs> oh, you sound just fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, 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 listeners, this is an adventure story uh, with a real-life heroine. It's a cookbook. Uh, with simple but genuine Chinese food, uh, um, you, you should you should buy a copy, and I'm going to say to Miss Anne, she should start cooking from it. Yes, <laughs> see what you got me into, Cecilia. So, so, so she's she's in trouble now because you said it was easy. Yeah, a lot of people tried, and uh, it, uh, they all said uh, very easy to follow and uh, very tasty. Oh, I have a, a young. I met a young lady the other day in the book sign party. She is only about 15. She said, I tried your sesame seed, uh, that uh, shrimp, and also the salad. She oh. said, my, 
turned out very good. My mother said, I can do it again. <laughs> that was so, so cute. Well, that, that's, that's, just a, that's just a wonderful testament to, uh, yeah. to a, li- a life well lived. I think, uh, Cecilia, I suspect that uh, whatever's been going on, you've always managed to enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you. And uh, we thank you for being part of On the Menu. And listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you. Yes, and, and next, time we're in, next time we're in San Francisco, we'll call. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> bye, yeah. Cecilia. Okay, bye. bye. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Nice talk to you. You too. Yeah, bye. Bye. And, and, and listeners, that's a wrap for another session of On the Menu. We hope you enjoyed being a part of the show and you'll join us again same time, same place next week.